0: This is the Power, Power Podcast. My name is Sarah of Underground Crowds. We hit Bible topics, book studies, punch out some songs here and there, and light up his word to strengthen our souls. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're chapter nine. Um, I'm thinking that probably for the last chapter, there's only going to be one podcast, I would think, Uh, depending on how the Lord leads. Um, and that's Easter week, I believe, so it's sort of fitting. Um, My calendar tells me nothing on this computer. No holidays, no anything. Anyway, so let's read chapter nine, pray and get started. It is a long chapter, so yep, just... Hang out. Now, in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. Even all the princes of the provinces, satraps and the governors, and those who were doing the king's business, assisted the Jews, because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the, gen- all the provinces, for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and did what they pleased to those who hated them. As a citadel in Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed five... At the citadel in Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And Parshandatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Paratha, Adalia, Aridatha, Amasta, Arisa. Eridai and Bizatha, the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. On that day, the number of those who were killed at the citadel in Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman at the citadel in Susa. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It shall be granted you. And what is your further request? It shall be done. Then said Esther, if it pleases the king, let tomorrow be also granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged in the gallows. So the king commanded that it should be done so, and Edict was issued in Susa, and Haman's ten sons were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa assembled also on the fourteenth day of the month. and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled and defend, to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and killed seventy-five thousand of those who hated them, and they did not lay, their, lay hands on the plunder." This was done on the thirteenth day of the month, Adar, and on the fourteenth day they rested and made it the day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the thirteenth and the fourteenth of the the same month, and they rested on the fifteenth day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns made the fourteenth day of the month the month month Adar a holiday for the rejoicing and feasting, and sending portions of food to one another. Then Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month, Adar, and the 15th day of the same month, annually. Because on those days the Jews rid themselves of their enemies, and it was a month month which was returned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday, that... They should make them days of feasting and rejoicing, and, and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the agite, the adversary of the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast Pur, that is, the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that this wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons would be hanged in the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim after the name of of Pur, and because of the instructions of this letter, both what they had seen in regard and what had happened to them the jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually for these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation every family every province and every city and these days of purim who were not were not to fail from among the jews or their memory Fade from their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, hail with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. He sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, namely words of peace and truth, to establish these days of Purim at, at their appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them. And just as they had established for themselves and for their descendants with instruction for their times of fasting and their lamentations, the command of Esther established these customs for Purim. And it was written in the book. Lord, I pray that you show us what it means to follow your word completely and not go from right to left. Because when we start extracting from your word, what we want to understand from it, what we can't fathom, and exclude that which we what we don't understand and can't can't fathom, we start canceling, and it's the day of age and age of canceling. That which we don't want to seek to understand, that which we have refused to understand, that which we um, will not bother with, and it's extremely prideful. Um, We don't even know that it's pride. It's shielded by a a veil of um, sentimentality, but it's really just hiding hearts of darkness. And um, I pray that we would be able to break the barriers and to lean in and trust you with your whole word, the whole authority, um, and accept the authority over our lives that we would... Trust your heart, know that you are good, and that um, there is more to learn, even when something becomes, seems shocking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was writing the notes um, yesterday and the outline, I came across that part where Esther, when king, the king comes to her and he's like, what? I mean, that's the impression I got. Um. What is happening here uh, all over the kingdom? What have they done? First of all, they've killed 500 people here. What have they done to the rest of the kingdom? For me, there was a stress, but then there was a trust. And so he turned to Esther and he said, what, what do you want to have done? And so, you know, much to my surprise, Esther digs her heels further in the ground, says Let, let's do the same thing tomorrow here in Susa and I thought okay a little more death and destruction coming to you from Esther Queen Esther this hero and the Lord's spirit was like wait and it was a great great lesson for me to keep reading Um, and why do I why do I say that it's because this is our approach to scripture a lot we run up against something that we don't like and then that's it It doesn't deserve any more of our time. It doesn't deserve humility. We can just write God off. First of all, there is no one more long-suffering than God. You can just put that right down on some piece of paper you have handy. There is no one. How many of y'all still fuming over the wrong order that you got in the fast food checkout line? There is no one more long-suffering than God. Don't get it twisted. That's the first thing we have to settle in our minds. And so, if we come to Scripture, and it's a must, you cannot come to Scripture full of yourself. I mean, you can come to Scripture full of yourself, and you're still going to be full of yourself when you leave Scripture. That's the whole point I'm trying to make. But we come to Scripture to be filled with Him and His truth. But if we pre decide anything coming to Scripture, If we pre-decide upon God, it it just betrays fear, is what it does. You are afraid, maybe, that God's going to ask you to give up some stuff, give up some thinking. Maybe you've built a whole image around the kind of person that you need to be perceived as. And and you are afraid God's going to ask you to knock that down. So that you can be more like him, not more like you, a cooler version of you, more like him. And so, as the spirit was saying, Whoa, I learned a great lesson. I wrote it down here. So I'm finding it, y'all. Where did I put it? Must be. Chapter 9. Come on. Oh my goodness. When we go to extremes with scripture, it just reveals that we are the extreme. We are the one that is injecting. See, we think... Because we're not familiar with the culture. Because we're not familiar with how things went back in the Old Testament. We think, you know, when we hear about slaughter of anything. That that's the extreme. We are injecting our version of extreme into scripture. We're the ones that are thinking along the lines of what is extreme and what isn't. Can I just tell you right now... That's really centrist. This, that's really about me. About me being able to understand fully what the scripture is saying. Or even understand fully the cultural context. Or even understand fully God's holiness as compared to his chosen people. And visiting them and guiding them personally out of Egypt to watch them turn their back on him. We don't we don't have that com- we don't have that conversation with ourselves. We just want to invite what our version of ex- extreme is to the narrative. And so we give ourselves, I'm sorry, you can come into my house on any given day and I just like the other night my son spit into the sink and I was like, "Stop!" And this spit was just flying everywhere. And I had guests at the table. That was extreme. For them, they were like, what just happened? They didn't know that I was getting spit on. And then I didn't really have a problem for them. He was spitting out something that was bad tasting in his mouth, and he's very sensitive about that. I didn't have a problem with that. I did have a problem with getting a shower. I did have a problem with that. Are you Admit it. You can walk into anybody's house, catch something mid mid story And think that that reaction or that thing that was being said was extreme. We are, we are, we innately do this. Because it's outside of our realm. Is this your family? Is this my, no. So as we're discovering, we are comparing. We are comparers. Well, I don't see anything like that in my day and age. Which means crickets. Which means what? Not a whole lot. I'm turning off my no. So when I said, "Great," that's to continue the slaughter. That's basically the words that I got out of that. We, I miss. The obvious nuance. We have to cancel because we refuse to submit to the spirit. So if we are canceled, we're busy reading scripture and we're canceling God, it's probably more of a I don't want to submit to the Spirit of God. It's probably more the issue. You know what the scripture tells us? Neither right nor left. So while Esther said, let it continue, it didn't. <laughs> I had to keep reading the scripture to realize this. Now, if I might cancel canceled shut the book, I'm done, I'm not doing this. I wouldn't have found out that it was only in Susa where it continued. No other place. And that what, you know, even if we have, and we have settled ourselves into the extreme advances that take Jericho, for example, I want to show you several instances where God held back, but his people were ready to destroy Jericho, right? Travel around that thing. They're full on obedient. Jericho was going down, everybody was gonna die. What does he what does God turn around and do? Saves Rahab. God, even when we are settled in justice, in this mission, in what what might be a bloody battle, even when we are settled and we're like, ooh, gonna do this thing, boom. We're gonna do and how many times have we been ready to just flatten people? And over and over and over and over and over again, the Spirit of God says to me, but that's enough. But I'm not doing that. But wait a little longer for justice. But long-suffering. But turn the other cheek. But love your neighbor as yourself. But he is way You can't even touch his compassion. You can't even touch his mercy. Can't even touch his long-suffering. Because when we have been done with people, he hasn't. Are they still living, breathing, walking around? Rahab's just one example. Let me read off several 40 years of wandering. Do you know what that was for? Also, it was 40 years of wandering because they were idiots, just like myself. 40 years of wandering. But you know what it was also for? It was to give the inhabitants of the promised land time to come to their complete evil. Yeah, they were going. But here's another 40 years. They've, they'd already passed the threshold of, of God having a reason To get rid of them. They'd already passed that. What does God do? Give them another 40 years to come to complete complete. So it was already complete. Otherwise God would not have made the statement that's going to be your land. Let's go. It was already, we're missing that part. It was 40 years stacked on top of that so they could come to complete 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 evil. To the tune of sacrificing their children. Evil. Another example, Judas, who he knew would betray him. Let him wander around for his whole ministry. What, three years? Fed him, gave him gave him charge over the money. For pity's sake. Washed his feet. Another example, the rescue of Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. We heard Sodom and Gomorrah, who burst into flames. Did you know that he rescued people out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Noah. Nineveh. Now we hear about John. We're, we're like, Jonah, yeah, that guy. You know the, the person that was the wrong was in the wrong in that whole story? Was not the evil city. That's what's mind-blowing for me. The evil city. The one that done all this wrong. The one that, you know, treated the Jews like junk. Whatever they did. Nineveh, Nineveh, Nineveh. We can't go to Nineveh. This is an awful place. Awful, awful, awful. What, What? God turns a whole narrative on its head. And Jonah ended up being the wacko. Because he didn't get it. He didn't get anything about God's mercy. A whole t- city gets saved. You know, he has to walk five days. can only get to the middle of the city or something like that. Something ridiculous. Maybe, you know, was it a whole half a day or something? I don't know what it was, but he had to walk all this time. Only got to the middle of the city. Turner Burn walked out. And the whole city gets saved. Who comes out squeaky clean at the end of that? Well, it... It wasn't Jonah. It's not really so much about the, the failing of Jonah here. It's a fact that God can turn any narrative on its head. So if we are going to come at God with presumption, my, my suggestion is we no. That we don't. If he can send water gushing through a rock, he can prove us wrong. And within two sentences, he proved me wrong. And as long as you are on this earth, as long as that enemy of yours is on this earth, there's hope. Peace out. Again, thanks for listening. Catch the next part of this series, usually Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. You can also find Underground Crowds on Twitter, Patreon, Bandcamp, or undergroundcrowds.com.